How's it going, everybody? It is 5.10 on Thursday evening, and I just finished quite possibly the best day of, the, the most morale-boosting day of work I've had in a very long time, uh, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. While we join in on this week's episode of The Homeward Path, this is a show by me. My name is Adam. I'm a husband, a father of three, and a full-time, hold, a, hold down a full-time job. And somehow, some way, we find a way to make the game of competitive magic on a tight time financial budget work. So, what happened today at work? Well, I am I am very fortunate to work with a number of good sports in our uh, corporate department, like our, our office people, because they were more than willing. After we went three months with no recordable incidents that caused anyone to miss time at work, they were more than comfortable with one or more of them taking a pie to the face for us being safe for so long. And they also fed us lunch. So it was most gratifying watching some of those people get a a, a nice little whipped cream and chocolate syrup and candy and sprinkles pie in the face. And it was three of them, so that made it even better. So, what are we talking about this week? Well, normally I would have a while we were away, and I'd be talking about the spoilers, but again, I'm trying to stick with uh, more evergreen kinds of conversation on this show, so talking specifically about the Eldraine spoilers is probably something I'm going to do on Riding in Cars once we have the whole spoiler, and I can just, you know, highlight a handful of cards that I think are really, really, really good. Uh... So this week, given that I talked about like specifically what decks I'm looking at post-rotation, I thought I would talk about the financial side of post-rotation life, getting ready for rotation. I'll call this the rotation refresher, if you will, because I did a similar episode last year, but it was much more detailed about like what the format looked like then at the time. So, and I also did it much earlier in the, in the cycle last year. So it was a little bit harder to take seriously. So to start with, sorry, before we dive too far into that, the place you can uh, always be sure your bang for buck is going to be honored is our sponsor at inkgaming.com. You're going to get all the bang for buck you need to decorate your uh, gaming space Use our promo code CCMTG10 at checkout. Get 10% off your order and uh, bask in the sweet, sweet decorative uh, playing space you've created for yourself. And while you're on the web, uh, check out the rest of the network at constructedcriticism.com. Like, next week is going to be a big deal because Mason and Spencer are both doing the early access stream event. And Spencer in particular is doing Teamer Appreciation Day for his. So if you've got a deck in Teamer Colors that you want to see done in post-rotation standard, send it to Spencer at Spencer13H. Like, send the list. We want all the sweet deck lists out there. I want to see a lot of stuff on there. Just as a selfish, selfish Magic player, I want to see a lot of stuff to draw inspiration from. It's another good way, in addition to what I was talking about on, uh, on, on Tuesday, with, uh, you know, what decks I thought were largely intact post-rotation it's another good way to get a glimpse at what the post-rotation standard format's going to look like because the last two or three of these 
we found a few decks in there. Like the the Nexus of Fate deck with Wilderness Reclamation ended up being really good. The um, what was it? What was it? The I'll get there in a minute. The the Golgari Crisis, the the Sultai mid range with Hydro Crisis ended up being really good, and then like. The uh, Teamer Elementals deck ended up being really good in the most recent one. Now, and the Grixis Bolas deck, for all its faults, has been one of the most widely played decks I've come across on Arena. It's not particularly close. And that was another one that was really big in the early Access Streamer event. Just, you know, Grixis kind of mid-rangey control, Planeswalker, whatever. It's just, I lovingly refer to it as Grixis stuff and we'll say stuff because kids listen to the show I hope <laughs> but the early access stream event has been a really valuable tool in helping to identify some sleeper picks in the upcoming standard format so the fact that two of our own are partaking in that and one of them is going to be accepting all the viewer submissions he can in the colors of, he, of his choice like, get in on that. It's going to be great. And speaking of great, what is the best email I can get is that I've received a new Patreon over patreon.com slash homerpathmtg. We don't have any this week, but that does not need to deter anybody. If you like what I'm doing and you want to help me keep doing it, please feel free to donate. I will make sure it goes to good use. I do not just frivolously spend all of this. I, I let it stockpile until I can get something that improves the show in a meaningful way. Like when I got the headset, like when I uh, got the mount, the, the improved mount for the car. So, all that out of the way, let's dive in. We got a rotation coming. What do we do? There's, for lack of a better term, there's a little bit of a process I like to go, go through. Now, normally I start this process a whole lot sooner. Uh, and in fact, I personally started it somewhere around the middle of August where I went through and the first thing I did is if it was a card that was rotating that I am not likely to get any other use out of, even if it's in like a weird kind of fringe janky modern deck or the historic format provided somebody's crazy enough to want to play it in paper. You know, if it's anything that doesn't fall under those guidelines, like anything I am just not going to use again. And I haven't used to this point. Is gone. That's the first step. Acquire capital by getting rid of what you're not going to use. There's a couple of different ways to do this. I tend to, you know, there's there's several different ways to do this. And depending on how early in the process you start it, the earlier you start it, the easier it is. Obviously, because the prices haven't started to dip. There's more bang for your buck to be had. The easiest and most economical way to take advantage of this is trading with other players. Aggressively trade out of rotating staples to get a hold of a handful of things that you're going to need. Whether it's somebody who's trying to get in while the getting's good, get it, get it while it's low, whatever. You know, it's okay to take a loss on this. Because the prices are gonna dip soon anyway. They're, they're not just gonna dip, they're gonna spiral down plummet to the ground so getting getting out of something that's about to rotate that you are not going to get any value of is not a bad thing even if you're taking a loss in the short term well let me get that out of the way 
by that same token, you're not always going to be able to trade with other players. Other players are not always going to want the cards you have. If, like me, your LGS sells online, it's worthwhile, first and foremost, to talk to your LGS and offer them the first chance to get your cards. Not necessarily because it's the best deal, but because you're, you know, helping, you're, you're giving back to the place that you're allowed to play Magic. <laughs> you're giving back to the place that lets you play Magic tournaments in their, in their, in their business. And that should always be something that is foremost on your mind. Any chance I have to give my LGS the first chance at the best deal, I try to take it. Unless, you know, barring, you know, mitigating circumstances like card availability or things of that nature. Like, you know, Gooses has a really sweet deal. It's really self-explanatory. It's really easy to guess to get an idea of how much you're going to get back. He does 40% for cash value, 60% trade credit, and uses TCG player market price. That's it. Whatever TCG player's market price is, it's that times 40% or 60% to determine how much you're going to get. I obviously always take trade credit because I, you know, if I'm in a position where I need to cash out, I know that that's an option and it's something that I can do. But considering my goal with Magic is to be able to keep playing Magic without spending a lot of money, trade credit's the, the best bang for buck deal there. Well, if you're going into it that way and you know you're not likely to be able to get the cards you need, doesn't hurt to set up, a, set up an account with an online vendor. There's a, there's a handful of them that I use. I use, I, I kind of rifle, riffle, whatever you want to call it. I, I pivot back and forth between three different vendors. One is Oasis Games because they have the best prices that I've seen on the web. It's not particularly close. And I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the flagship show on the network. I'm saying that because I have, I have gotten cards from them. The turnaround was great and the prices were unbelievably good. So the, the promo codes given out on constructed criticism really are fantastic. And it's definitely something to take advantage of. Highly recommend it. If you can't do that, the other two that I tend to do the most dealings with are CoolStuffInc.com and ABUGames.com. Uh, CoolStuffInc.com I, I did a lot of business with when I played a different game. And that's the reason that I still do business with them after switching back to Magic. They have a really sweet loyalty program that over time has created a situation where even if their prices are a little bit higher, sometimes thanks to my loyalty discount, I can get the price down below what others are doing. And they still have a pretty good deal on, on trade credit. You just have to go through and individually find every single card. You know, you have to, you have to go through search, add every single card, sometimes by condition, send them in. They'll give you a, they'll send you an email back making an offer. If, if your cards are in a bad enough condition that they have to make an offer versus just paying you whatever it was they initially listed, you agree, you disagree, hash it out, get your trade credit, put it to good use. The thing I don't like about Cool Stuff Inc. is that your store credit does not bank. You can't sit on a bunch of store credit or spend partial store credit. At least I haven't, I haven't tried to do that. Uh, 
but it tends it, it's issued back to you in the form of a gift certificate. So the idea behind doing something with cool stuff normally is I'll do it right before I'm about to make a purchase. I'll send a bunch of stuff in with the expectation of as soon as I get that email, turn around and make the purchase and get everything I need. ABU Games, on the other hand, they give you the largest dollar amount that I've found for your cards in trade credit. It's not particularly close. Like, when I traded out of Bloodstained Myers and uh, Polluted Deltas, it was $48, $48 in trade credit per Bloodstained Mire and $45 per Polluted Delta. Now, they ended up being docked a little bit for condition, but not enough to be, like, really angry about. There is a caveat. Their prices are higher to offset that. To offset the number of people who are going to trade in cards for store credit, their prices are higher. So it's kind of like funny money. But every once in a while, you can, you can catch a card near market price and it becomes very much worth it. The other advantage to ABU is bankable store credit. You can keep sending stuff in and you will be able to expand your store credit account. So if you're not, if you're not spending all of it, you don't have to. It doesn't punish you for not spending all of it. And then if you are spending actual cash, like cash, uh, regular credit or, uh, you know, PayPal, anything like that, you have, you also have a loyalty program with them similar to what Cool Stuff Inc. does. It's a little bit different because the Cool Stuff Inc. loyalty program also rewards you for performing buy list orders and then using your store credit, which is why my, my, my tier is as high as it is. I definitely haven't spent that much money, but it is what it is. So that's the first step. Acquire capital. Get yourself, figure out what you've got to spend. Then we come to step two. Between decks that are not losing a lot to rotation and new cards, identify the best deck within your means to get into. I'm not saying the best decks. The best deck. Single, singular. One of them. And there's a few reasons for that. One, it is really easy to, to spread yourself too thin and end up with almost versions of a bunch of different decks and none of them be actually complete. I've done it many times myself and it is one of the most frustrating experiences you can have as a Magic player because you're out of capital, you can't get into anything else but you really need to like you you're you're missing some key cards for like three or four different decks and none of them work well within each other like it's one of the most frustrating experiences you can have so for example the riding in cars episode i was talking about semic flash i'm gonna be looking really hard at the cards from eldraine that i need for semic flash that's going to be the first deck that i finish then if there's enough room and i want to do it we'll start looking at stuff for blue black terramander then we'll look at, you know, Cavalcade Red or Rakdos Aggro or, you know, whatever I want to do for, for my aggro deck. But the best, the, the deck that I feel like is going to give me the best chance to win week in and week out, the best long-term investment, which for me tends to be either kind of a mid-range or a control deck, is going to be the one that I target first. 
then I'll kind of trickle into the other archetypes as I go. So it's important to note mastery is is what you're seeking when you go down this road you will you want to use the deck that you get into in order to win as much as you can which in turn gives you prizes that you can either open and then resell or you can trade away to get you into the stuff you want for other decks the idea is you use the deck that you get into as your springboard into other things that's one of the key tenets for playing on a budget in the first place and it kind of renews itself every rotation period. After locking, you know, after figuring out what deck and and or staples and or decks you want to get into, depending on your means, obviously, do not spend outside of them. Do not, you know, don't outspend what you have available. Uh, after doing that. Now it's time to start looking if you still have capital left over at potential speculation buys. And the idea behind speculation buys, you don't get into them with the idea that I'm only getting into this because I think it's going to rise in price. And I've said this a thousand times, but I'll say it again here. If you are getting into a card without the intention of being willing to play it if it doesn't skyrocket, you're getting into it for the wrong reason. Get into the card with the idea that you will play it until it is not economical for you to continue to do so. Like until the, uh, the cost of hanging on to it, in other words, the opportunity cost of the money that you would get back from it outweighs the amount of, of winnings you could potentially get from playing it. The best examples I have are the Scarab God and Lyra Dawnbringer. When I got in on both of them low and then both of them spiked to an unsustainable level. Sometimes you just got to get out of a card. That's what I did with those two. I was more than happy to continue playing both of them when I got them. I got them because I wanted to use them. But then both spiked to a level that I was just not going to get again. In the case of Scarab God, it went from... It went from like... $15, $16 a piece to, uh, I think it got as high as 52 when I got out of it. And that's what I got for them was 52 a piece. And then Lyra Dawnbringer went from uh, 14 15 in pre-order, which is what I got them at, to week one standard when the blue-white flash deck was like really, really good. The, uh, the blue-white RAF flash deck, the historic flash deck was one of the most played decks in the format, and a bunch of people decided they had to jump on Lyra now. She went from 15, 16 to like 40. And I thought 15, 16 was a good price. 40 was not one I could hang on to five copies for. Let's just get out of them and get into a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> that's, that's how I play the speculation game. I get things that are maybe on the higher end otherwise, that I'm more than comfortable playing, but I expect them to spike too. Now, I didn't expect Lyra to jump up to like 40. I was thinking maybe, you know, if she jumped up to 30, I was going to get out of her. You know, the Scarab God I got with the intention of playing, I never intended to sell the card. I want, I love the card. It was really powerful. But at 50 bucks a pop, I only had two. And I had the best deck in standard and team or energy. So, like, there was no reason to hang on to that one. 
Now, ultimately, I regretted it a little bit because blue-black control would have been way better with Scarab God than without, but we managed anyway because that's what we did. So that's really the, the three-step process I can, I can give you here. Purge what you're not going to keep. Build capital. Get what you're going, you know, find out how much you're going to have to spend. Identify the deck and or decks that you are going to play. Not decks you maybe want to give a shot to, and if they don't work, you may get out of them. No, get something you know you're going to play. A really good example was when I got into Mono Blue Tempo last year. It was super cheap to buy into. The Cavalcade Red deck's another good example this year. It's going to be super cheap to get into. But it's going to be one of the better decks in Standard. It's going to be something that's it's rarely going to be completely awful. So it can be a deck that can be played for a long time. And then it's also going to be a deck that is going to, you know, main. it, it has the potential to skyrocket in value over time. But probably not. It's just going to be a safe bet. Start there. Start with something like that. Start with something like Simic Flash that is really good now and has the potential to be even better. And it's not just obscenely expensive, right? Like, get your breeding pools, get your your, your lands that you're going to need, uh, either the, the castles or the, the utility ones. Your temples are still good there. You know, make sure your mana base is good. Look at the new cards. The fairy thing is going to be really, really good, but it may just end up being priced out of my range. I may only be able to get a couple of them. Whatever. But get into get into the decks, the, like one or two of them, that you know you're going to play. In my case, it's going to be Simic Flash, Blue Black Terramander, and probably Cavalcade Red, but we'll see. But we're going to upgrade what I've got first. And then... From there, if you have it left over and you want to speculate, make sure you're getting something you are comfortable playing. Make sure it's something that fits into decks you're going to play, right? You know, I'm not going to, you know, looking at what I'm getting into, you know, Mono Red, uh, Semic Flash, Blue Black Terramander, I'm not going to be looking at, like, the... Another one, that, another one that's down on my radar a little bit, but is still potentially playable is like the blue-white flyers deck. So, you know, something like just a handful of the the cheap flying creatures. Like that's a an interesting little mini spec. Get a, get a handful of the uncommons. And the idea is not to order with the specs to get like a ton, get a giant quantity of them, and then try to resell them later. No, like I I speculate on a play set of a card that I want to play. If I've got the capital available, if I don't really, really need it, like if I don't think it's particularly necessary to the deck that I'm going to play, I may just sit on the, on the store credit too. I've been known to do that. Let it accumulate, let it build up. And then you have a better budget when the next set comes out and you repeat this process. Maybe you were wrong about a deck or two. You can purge, acquire capital identify what you're going to need. It's a never-ending process, but it's especially important to be on top of it at rotation time. So that's going to that's gonna wrap up this week's main topic. Uh, thanks for listening.
If you have ideas, you have suggestions, you have questions, comments, concerns, whatever, whatever it is, send them to me. I'm on Twitter, at HomewardPathMTG. On Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. On... Did I do that one last week? Yeah, I did. Sorry. On the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders, send a request. One of our admins will give you a, a look over and we'll probably add you. We'll give you a shot. Just don't be a horrible person and you know, let's talk about how enthusiastic we are about magic. That's, that's my criteria. Uh, if you're a patron of the show, you gain access to the patron discord. And if you want to make me laugh week in, week out, Hashtag MTG dad jokes is a way to do it. Send them on Twitter. Uh, there's an area for them in the patron discord for those of you who are there and just haven't looked yet because I haven't posted there. Uh -huh. And we've got one this week and it is from Pleasant Kenobi. Good old Vince. Says the fact that this cow triggers on discard is utterly ridiculous. Utterly. Also, milk! And it was ironically originally previewed by Numa the Nummy, who says, Y'all know the story about a boy named Jack stole his mama's cow for some beans that were whack. Thanks, Watsy, for giving me these previews. And it's Bartered Cow. We have when Bartered Cow dies or when you discard it, create a food token, and it's a 4-drop 3-3. Three, three. We have Giant Opportunity for 2 and a green. You may sacrifice 2 foods if you do create a 7-7 seven, seven green giant creature token. Otherwise, create 3 foods. And Tall as a Beanstalk is 3 and a green. Enchanted Creature, uh, it's an enchantment aura, enchant creature. Enchanted Creature gets plus 3, plus 3, has reach, and is a giant in addition to its other types. So there's your reference to Jack and the Beanstalk for the day, in addition to a great cow pond by one Pleasant Kenobi. Thank you. I love it. So that's going to wrap it up for this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope you have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday, more than likely, with Riding in Cars with Cards. Don't know for sure what we're going to talk about. We may just be talking about those Eldraine Spotlight cards, the handful of cards from Eldraine that just have me unreasonably excited. So until then... Stay safe, play magic, and enjoy yourself. And we'll see you later.